1: Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that has consistently brought you the news before it becomes news during the window which has just closed, as well as information analysis on all the subjects you're talking about in football. I've been McGarry, and with me, I'm glad to say, as always, is Duncan Castle, the way of cheap imitations, as we like to say uh, on the podcast. And it has been a very, very busy window, which has just, as the great Kaiser Duck would say, slammed shut uh, after a hectic three months of wheeling and dealing. While lots of money was spent certainly in the English Premier League in bringing players in and also exporting players out, potentially the largest and most uh, high-profile transfer of the window would have been Kylian Mbappe had his deal from Paris Saint-Germain to Real Madrid gone through. However... PSG, as predicted by Duncan on the pod, uh, do not want to lose face by selling their best player. Uh, The Qatari state nation owners decided they they would turn down a bit of almost 200 million euros for the France international uh, on the last day of the window. Uh, Duncan, I I often say this, but I I must admit, I'll never get tired of saying either. You've got three months to do a deal like this, and yet you wait to the last day. Uh, before you actually put in the bid that you think is going to get you the player. Um, You have the timeline of what happened with regards to Madrid's interest. Uh, Why don't you um, explicate that for us? Um, Because it's really very intriguing with regards to
0: how things
1: developed over the last four or five days.
0: Well, to be fair to Real Madrid, they didn't leave it to the last day and they didn't want it to go to the last day. As we, we explained on on uh, last week's podcast, they made their first offer with just over a week um, left in the window. Uh, they made it a very high offer. As we said, it was, it was designed to be a mark of respect towards Paris Saint-Germain, who they recognize as as one of the powers in European football at present. And I think who they recognise as important to their Super League project that Florentino Perez still wants to happen and which PSG were very pivotal in blocking, basically creating an alliance with uh, UEFA president Alexander Sheffrey, which has benefited them greatly subsequently. Um, One of the interesting parts... And what happened between the two clubs is that Madrid ended up making three offers, formal offers to PSG for Kylian Mbappe, the last of those on deadline day for 200 million euros. And what I am told from the Madrid end, from people involved in negotiating the deal, is that Paris Saint-Germain simply refused to respond to them. They did not reply to the second last offer. They did not reply to the 200 million. Euro offer, they just left Real Madrid to come to the conclusion that the deal was not going to happen and that they needed to uh, sign Eduardo Camavinga, um, midfielder, young French midfielder, uh, in in order to present a player as an acquisition in this window. Um, it leaves them in a position which some people argued that they they were trying to achieve in the first place um, in the way that they bid for the player, which was, To be seen to have made a a huge offer, this would have represented the second highest transfer fee ever paid for a player after um, PSG's acquisition of Neymar. Allowed them to place a value on Mbappe and allowed them to increase his status knowing that they could pick the player up in January um, on a pre-contract agreement for no transfer fee, uh, being able to put him in their team for the following 2022, 20, 23 season. Now, guidance I have from the people involved in this is that was not the case that Florentino Perez wanted this to happen. Um, and he wanted the player in place immediately. We've told you all along that he'd been saving all of the transfer resources for a couple of seasons now for Real Madrid to put into this deal. So he had the money to pay that fee. Um Interesting thing is how it's been perceived by Kylian Mbappé and the guidance I have is he, he is unhappy with the situation. He's unhappy that his attempts to explain to Qatar that he was no longer happy at PSG and that he decided he wanted to move to Real Madrid talking about the gentleman's agreement that we reported a couple of weeks ago um, that he had with PSG when he signed for the club that he would spend four years there and then be transferred for a large sum um, ahead of the final year of his contract. Qatar breaking that agreement in his view, he told Leonardo, who... The sports director, who the relationship with is not great, um, that he wanted out. He told Nasser Al-Khalifi, the club president, that he wanted out. He told Maurizio Pochettino that he wanted out. He told the Emir of Qatar that he wanted out and still they would not allow him to go. I'm told he's now concerned that he needs to focus on how he performs for the team because PSG want to give him a new contract. They're pushing him to sign a new contract. He obviously doesn't expect that to go away. There is a concern, I'm told, on his side that if he does not perform well, they will use as part of leverage um, leaving him out of the team or making him less important to the way the team plays. Obviously, that could be an issue to him if he does sign that pre-contract in January because at that point... um, they will know they're losing him in six months' time. Therefore, there'll be more of an incentive to leave him at the side. He wants to play football, particularly in the build-up uh, to a World Cup year. He wants the best conditions to to play football. That's one of the reasons he's decided. To to move to Real Madrid. And he's concerned that, that now being stuck at PSG for another season, he doesn't have the best conditions to play. And he's in a difficult position because they will use whatever tools they can to try and persuade him to sign a new contract there. Um, the Qatari side, uh, we talked about the Emir of Qatar's brother um, going on social media to, to comment In various different ways about the the progress of this deal, Um, some of them quite contradictory. But at the end of the process, um, Khalifa Altani retweeted a, 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 a Spanish language football commentator saying, It was time for us to learn that money matters little to them. What they want is to be the season's best team, even if it costs them the free transfer of Mbappe. So basically, they want that year of. Um, having the lineup with the attack of Mbappe, Neymar, Messi all together, plus the other players they've they've put in alongside them, a huge number of of uh, high cost salary acquisitions. They even responded on deadline day by taking Nuno Mendes, young Portuguese left back on loan from Sporting with a forty million option to buy player that um, Chiki Birgiristan would like to have taken to Manchester City at some points he strengthened even further Altani commenting on that said this everyone knows so it was better not to bother um, on Real Madrid's part it leaves I think <laughs> the, the, this experiment that PSG have built um, even more fascinating because we, we're, we talked about how difficult it's going to be to combine so many Superstar players in one team. Um, whether there was enough running involved in the team. Now you have this uh Kylian Mbappe's discontent to deal with, and this story which will rumble on. Although Qatar have managed to hold the player through this window, the the issue has not gone away. And I, th- I think the sort of general discussion of where football is when when clubs like PSG can afford to turn down the second highest transfer fee offer of all time for a player who they have been told will leave for nothing in in a year's time. Um, we saw Javier Tapas, the president of La Liga commenting after it became clear, the deal wasn't going to go through. And he said, again, on social media, nation states clubs are as dangerous to the football ecosystem as the super league. We were critical of the super league because it destroys European football and we are equally critical of PSG. COVID losses of over 300 million euros, TV revenue in France down 40% and over 500 million euros in salaries unsustainable, was his comment on this.
1: Well, Duncan, speaking to um, a source, uh, a very senior source at Real Madrid in the last 24 hours, uh, I was told that... uh, Yes, what you've reported with regards to Florentino uh, determined to make this happen in this window and have Mbappe in his team and not challenged for the La Liga title and the Champions League um, is correct. However, Mbappe and his representatives uh, have been told that since the bid failed, that the fee that was offered of 200 million euros will be converted into his salary package uh, on offer when he joins them on a free transfer, uh, along with the money they put aside for his salary anyway uh, in the first instance, which of course will then make him uh, most probably the highest paid football player in the world when he does join Real Madrid. But one of the reasons Madrid were determined to get it done as well was because they knew that Mbappe, if he's available for free, could become the subject of an auction uh, to other major and elite football clubs and who could rival real madrid in terms of wages and so madrid instead have gone all out and said look uh, the 200 million euros that we are willing to pay for you will be converted into uh, that in your wages when you join us uh, plus the commission uh, for uh, the deal as well as um, bonuses etc so that they hope will be enough to persuade him to sign the pre-contract in January or indeed sign a heads of agreement, which is not illegal. It's simply a legal letter saying that Kylian Mbappé and Madrid have come to an agreement that he would join them in the summer of 2022. So uh, it all looks done and dusted. Um, I think it's interesting what you say about Mbappé perhaps being demotivated uh, for the season ahead or indeed the PSG being demotivated about playing him um, in such a star-studded squad. But um, I'm also reminded of a story, Duncan, um, when you said about uh, not being a lot of tracking back happening when that that front three of Messi, Neymar and Mbappe uh, for the season ahead of um, when Andy Cole and Teddy Sheringham had a massive fallout at Manchester United because uh, Cole had not Tracked back for a corner, Uh, I to defend a corner against Man United, in which they conceded a goal. And uh, when Sheringham confronted him, he said, "Andy Cole, don't make tea." And the two, the two never spoke a word to each other afterwards. Uh, I'm pretty sure Killian and Bappy don't make tea either. Um, So that will be a very interesting dynamic to watch uh, in Liga and, of course, the Champions League uh, this season. The most high-profile transfer, not being Kylian Mbappe, it actually was Cristiano Ronaldo to Manchester United, who, of course, we reported that to you last week. And um, you have some interesting information regarding... Uh, The, um, I'm I'm not going to say sacrifice because that will sound a little bit disrespectful to people who earn the minimum wage, but the sacrifice that Cristiano Ronaldo has made in order to rejoin uh, Manchester United in terms of his salary uh, and of course he signed a two-year deal with a one-year option.
0: Yeah, look, he, he took a a pay cut on his thirty one million euro net salary at Juventus to come to Manchester United, um, which fits with I think how the how the deal came around. Um, this is something we've been reporting on um, for many months. I think back in March we uh, we talked about how Cristiano Ronaldo's re- representative, Jesse Foot, had put an idea out to the Glazers, which was you have just won the Super Bowl, um, hiring, uh, a veteran superstar quarterback, Tom Brady. Um, he's you know, turned around years of disappointment for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, um, and, uh, and made the difference. You have the option this summer, if you want to do it, to hire the greatest sportsman of all time, as he considers himself. At Cristiano Ronaldo he will be available if you want to put him into the the side you're developing this is your opportunity to win the Premier League again and to be competitive in the Champions League again he wants to win more Champions League titles um, there is an issue at Juventus Juventus are not competitive Juventus because of uh, the impact of Covid upon them are open to letting Ronaldo leave at the end of the season um, do you want to go ahead and do it so that that's been sitting there for months at Manchester United and and my information was United's w- response was we're interested we are looking for a forward um you're on the list but no actual approach to make the deal happen until those very final days of the window and uh, as we discussed the detail on uh, last Friday's podcast, um, it went from a situation where Cristiano Ronaldo had agreed verbally to join Manchester City. Um, He'd been told that a deal could be done to go there if he was prepared to move there. He had conversations with Pep Guardiola, He liked what he heard from Guardiola Obviously, he saw Manchester City, their need for a striker, given that uh, Harry Kane deal had fallen through, and and their strengths as a team, the dominant force in, in English football, plus um, having just reached a, a Champions League final and, and the entire focus of Abu Dhabi on, on getting that first European Cup to the club. He saw it as a place where he could go and win again and be competitive at the very top and embellish his record. Um, that as you detailed Ian came with a response from Manchester United, they basically woke up and realized that if they didn't do something, Cristiano Ronaldo, the most famous player of the modern year was going to join the rivals and potentially turn them into champions league winners. Um, there had been conversations and, and, Cristiano Ronaldo is referred to those in his first interview for Manchester United between him and Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, I'm told that he had had a discussion with with Ferguson, where he he said he explained that he wasn't happy at Juventus and, and asked him for his advice. and And the guidance he got was come home. Um, but it took that situation where he was about to join Manchester City for it actually to be put into effect. number of Manchester United players, former teammates, calling Ronaldo to say, how can you go there? If you're coming back to England, come back to United. Ferguson also trying to persuade him to do that. On the Thursday, um, the, a call came from Ferguson saying United were ready to make an offer. And very rapidly, that deal was put in place. Um, uh, an interesting transfer fee of, of 15 million euros agreed with Juventus, but paid over five years on a contract that is two years plus an option of one, with a with a further eight million of uh, performance related variables. So done in a way that there's minimal immediate transfer fee cost to United, but obviously a, a huge addition to uh, their salary bill. Um, and you have Ronaldo kind of underlining all of this in his first Instagram message saying, I'm right here. I'm back where I belong. Let's make it happen. Once again, PS, Sir Alex, this one is for you. And then in an interview with the, the club website saying, He had a big role talking about Ferguson because the relationship that we had, we keep in touch all the time and he's an unbelievable person. I really like him a lot. And he was the main key for me to be in the position that I am, that I signed for Manchester United. And you're someone who's covered Sir Alex Ferguson's career in football to a great degree and has has good contacts with people close to him. What do you think? think the importance of this return of his favorite player, I think it's fair to say that someone who describes Ferguson as his father in football um, means for the organization of the club and and Ferguson's role and and influence at the club going forward
1: frankly he um he will now have one of the most important players um who is as Cristiano says his sporting father, in the dressing room, someone who he's in touch with uh, very frequently, and who asks his advice, who acts on his advice, who will carry out uh, advice that he gives as well, and that is something which, of course, the Glazers have been striving to um, to denigrate since. He retired as manager of the club. So, this changes the whole dynamic, I believe, at Manchester United in terms of Ferguson's influence. Uh, I think the Glazers have tolerated maybe too strong a word, but it's not far off. Uh, Ferguson's continued presence—you um, see him sitting in the director's box at Southampton, and of course, he has privileges with regards to his presence, etc., uh, and his presence in the boardroom um, as well. However, he has not been part of decision-making processes uh, per se
0: for much of the time since he left. His position as the club's manager yeah, and we should, we should emphasize here although he's a director of a club he is on the broader board that is the non-executive decision exactly board. yes yeah he is and this will give him uh,
1: direct access to what's going on in the dressing room because ferguson his players if you like don't exist anymore in the dressing room. So he can't rely on uh, information coming out of the dressing room uh, directly as being part of his information uh, hotline. Well, uh, He's he needs-
0: not Phil Jones there, so he must have good information <laughs> on, the, uh, on the medical
1: department. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this is going to be very interesting, I think, because as I said, the Glazers basically. You know, the foundation of their decision to move Ferguson out was that they thought he had too much power and therefore they wanted to increase their own influence with regards to the football department. Um, And that is now going to shift. There's going to be a, as I say, a difference in the dynamic and Ferguson will now have a direct influence on what goes on in the dressing room, how it uh, is run and how, uh, the team itself uh, behaves okay. Solshar has been very clever, I think, in distancing himself on several occasions from Ferguson because at the beginning of his time when he was appointed as the interim manager, he uh, referenced Ferguson a lot, and that definitely annoyed uh, the Glazers and Ed Woodward, uh with regards to. Um, the fact that they wanted to move away from the Ferguson era. And uh, as a result, Solskjaer stopped doing that. He was told, don't do that. And he stopped doing that because he wanted to keep his job. But now you've got, as I said, the most important and most, and the highest paid player at the club who is extremely close to Ferguson. Uh, Now, this is a, Team, obviously, who are failing to win trophies, um, who are struggling uh, with regards to being competitive uh, in a meaningful way. And all of a sudden, the gaffer's back. And that is going to be a very, very interesting situation to watch uh, developing throughout the course of this season, because uh, it's something which may work because Ferguson clearly is a proven winner. Um, But at the same time, it could also provide a huge source of friction between the owners of the club and the football department that they have... been trying to take control of or have taken control of for the past seven years uh, so th- yes it will be <laughs> let's just say um, uh, it'll be a sub story uh, obviously because the main story will be on the pitch but it'll be a very interesting sub story and um,
0: I think I think, it'll be- I think there's that dynamic and there's also the dynamic of, of what it does to the team because look that they're adding the most prodigious goal in European football over more than a decade. Um, I think there's a nice statistic of comparing Cristiano Ronaldo's goal return since he left Manchester United to the goal return of Manchester United's leading scorer in all of the, the seasons since he left. And it is miles ahead of, um, of the, the cumulative total and ahead. and uh, I think every season, but one, uh, I think he equaled the leading scorer in his first, mm-hmm. first season away from the club. So, he is the the reigning leading scorer in italy um during his time in la liga 311 la liga goals in 292 games there's no question that they have added one of the top finishers in football to to their attack and also as as Solskjaer and many others have, have stated an example and a leader in the dressing room who should have a a funda- make a fundamental difference to the way they're the players he plays alongside behave and think about the game. He is ult- ultimately and, and and totally focused on winning, and I think that's something that that's going to be very important to Manchester United. There have been periods over the last um, four or five seasons where you 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 see players who seem to have lost the Manchester United attitude of nothing less than victory is acceptable, and. And it will not be acceptable to Cristiano Ronaldo and he will push that team. But if you were going to do this deal, and as we've explained, the deal has been available to them for months. This could have been strategically done. It could have been set up in advance. He could have been in early, as they have very successfully done with Rafael Varane and Jaden Sancho, um, unusually for United doing those deals quickly and efficiently. If you were going to do it, you could have done it in a way where the dynamic of the squad and the structure of the squad was much better balanced. Um, You would not have had Anthony Martial remaining there or Edson Cavani remaining there, one or, or the other would have been allowed to leave Cavani. He probably wouldn't have renewed his contract. They had put Martial on the market. He'd been offered around European football from the beginning of the window and no one was prepared to take him because his salary is is one of the highest in the Premier League and, uh, and he hadn't had the greatest of, uh, of seasons for United. Um, what they've created is a squad where they're really, although people are still trying to make excuses for Solskjaer and saying he, he should add a defensive midfielder that basically needs a, a perfect um, answer in every single position of the field. But the squad is now one where r- realistically you have to say, if this can't win silverware, then the problem is with the coach. Um, they have 27 full internationals in that that first team squad. Um, registered at the club and at the club at present. They have an attack, they have seven full internationals plus Jesse Lingard who they've hung on to despite other clubs wanting to sign him because they wanted a a £25 million fee for him. The only player they've let go of is Daniel James. I think they did quite well to get £25 million from Leeds United for at the end of the window. But you have, where does Ronaldo play? Does he play as number nine? or does he play off the left wing, which is Marcus Rashford's preferred position? How much game time does Martial get? What does Mason Greenwood do if Jadon Sancho is going to be playing right wing? Um, if you set up with Ronaldo on the left and for all his scoring in Italy, there is a statistic that he made that he was the, the least um, effective uh, presser in the Juventus team last season, Um, you would then have Cristiano Ronaldo left wing, Luke Shaw left back, not a man who's who's, who's, uh, renowned for his positional skill and sometimes for his uh, effort at getting back into position. If you watch goals United conceded last season, there was a lot of them where Shaw has just failed to track players back. And Harry Maguire um, playing on the left side of the central defence, I don't think it'll be too complex for opposition uh, technical staff to decide which flank they're going to attack. If that sets up as the as the standard um, formation for United this season, um, it could have been done earlier. It could have been done in a more structured way, but um, they've they've. I think they've given themselves the opportunity to do something that you wouldn't have imagined Manchester United doing a year, a half, two years ago. It's not the way the Glazers have gone. Um, and they've, they've uh, put, I think, Solskjaer in a position where there can't be any more excuses. He He will have to deliver this season or... there are not going to be many people, perhaps Gary Neville will say it, about the defensive midfield, there are not going to be many people saying, actually, the Glazers haven't provided him with what he needed. Um, Let's go into the market again and spend another 100 million plus on on finally getting it to the stage where United can run silverware again.
1: What they've done, Duncan, which I find, you know, uh, significant with regards to this... Particular signing is they've signed a genuine superstar footballer, which is something United have lacked um, in in recent years. Something that, that they were synonymous with. Uh, you think about the players that they have had uh, in their ranks over the last twenty years, thirty years even. Has always beaten a superstar player uh, who provides an aura and who obviously gets the crowd excited when they play because of the way that they play, because they play with freedom, because they play with flair. And United have not had that. They, they have they had become quite stale, I think, in terms of uh, the way in which uh, they conducted themselves. And even at 36, Cristiano Ronaldo is that kind of player who brings the, um, as I said, the aura to the dressing room, so when the younger players go into the dressing room and they see Ronaldo there, they'll think, "Oh my God, I'm getting to play alongside Cristiano Ronaldo," and that's not to be underestimated. And a club like Manchester United have have required that for quite some time, but they haven't had it. And so I think that in itself is significant with regards to how they might perform this season. No one can predict, obviously, if they're going to start winning silverware uh, just because of Ronaldo's arrival. But the fact of the matter is they've probably done the right thing. In bringing him to the club or back to the club, even at his age, because as we know, um, he may be 36, but he plays like someone who's 27, 28 because of his fitness levels and his attitude towards his physicality and his mentality as well. So that will be, I I believe, something which will benefit Manchester United. And I agree with you with regards to Solskjaer. We laugh uh, as journalists because, you know, time to deliver is a kind of stock phrase for us uh, when it comes to um, signings and also uh, tournaments. Um, But in this case, the depth of the squad at Manchester United is such now that there are no excuses uh, for Solskjaer or indeed for the club with regards to converting performances in to tangible winning situations where they are competing for the premier league title for the champions league for the fa cup etc cetera, etc cetera. um and questions will rightfully be asked if that's not the case so um, it's it's uh, it's an upgrade that's for sure as i said even at 36 it's an upgrade
0: luksochar so <laughs> You could say he's been handed a problem that that needs quite careful management, um, given the number of players he has in, in the squad. And and there are coaches who would say, I, I don't want 27 full internationals because it's too difficult to handle that approach. His own words have been throughout this transfer window that he wanted as much depth as possible. So they avoided fitness issues and shortage of players later in the season. So it's his own stated position that he wanted this type of squad, where he's he's got a luxury of options in in almost every position. And you know, you can talk about the midfield and 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 needing an upgrade at defensive midfield. They've got a huge number of options and high quality international players in that midfield as well um, Donny van de Beek being one of the options that he seems to refuse to use at de- defensive midfield now we'll see if, stick
1: Phil Jones in there Duncan
0: and now <laughs> we'll see if he, might, he he could use Victor Lindelof there who has played in, as a defensive midfielder at Benfica in the past so that, that's one thing that, that could be a, an experiment given that Varane is going to play alongside Maguire as a, as a first choice throughout the season but now we'll see if that man management that he which is considered to be one of his strongest traits. I mean, he himself talks about him not being a great. Coach and he prefers to delegate that side of duties to other people, and and his job is a is a manager of individuals and a manager of the team. We'll see how good his man management is if he can solve that problem of the of the bigger squad that he asked his employers to provide him with, and which they've provided him with a very substantial expense in a window where most clubs there are a few exceptions and and quite a few of them are in the Premier League, but where most clubs have had to cut their budgets and and be careful in their expenditure. He's been handed a a great advantage in terms of the amount of money that's been invested in that team relative to the opposition. Um, And as you say, it's time to see if he can deliver a return on it.
1: You're right, Duncan, about the um, expenditure of certain clubs and, and the lack of expenditure in others. I've got an interesting question for you, though. Um, what do Arsenal and Shirley Bassey have in common? <laughs> um, that they're
0: not performing anymore.
1: <laughs> Very good. No, her most famous song was Hey Big Spender. <laughs> which is exactly what Arsenal have been in this transfer window, <laughs> having spent in excess of £150 million, £100 million of that on defence alone, which no one can argue, I don't think, having watched Arsenal over the last 18 months, uh, they needed to certainly improve. Weird though, Duncan, that they've lost their best defender, who was Hector Bellerin, um, to Real Betis of all Clubs, which just seems a strange one, but you know, not, we'll not come strange, to that.
0: Not strange if you're a regular listener to the transfer window, as we pointed <laughs> out, Be- Beirin wanted out.
1: Yeah, no, no, I meant the club, not not th- the fact that he's left. Um, yeah. it's just that we, I think, we would have expected him with his talent to go somewhere oh. other uh, than Seville. Um, however, yes, <laughs> but they have spent. Uh, Fifty million on Ben White. Uh, obviously, they've also uh, bought um, uh, other uh, defenders, including um, Aaron Ramsdale, who you're a big fan of, Duncan. I know uh, as backup, for a £30 billion pound goalkeeper backup to Burnley. I know. Um, so, uh, in terms of um, the way in which they have gone about their business. It's my information, Duncan, that uh, Mikel Arteta has not had a huge amount of influence with regards to the choosing and the decision making on players that have been recruited. Uh, instead, that responsibility has come down to Sporting Director Edu um, and Richard Garlic as well, and that they are taking a policy, which, to be fair, is fairly common in elite clubs, but certainly in Europe, um, of recruiting players who they see as being part of the long-term future of the club, uh, playing in a certain style. Uh, data analysis has a major part to play in the uh, choosing and then the um, obviously the uh, inf- informing um uh, the club of how those players will fit in as well uh, I'd be slightly concerned if, if I were Arteta not just because um, Arsenal and bottom of the Premier League table, but also given the fact that he's not had uh, any major influence with regards to recruitment as well, which kind of suggests that either he's not trusted or that uh, he is being trusted simply by being given players and saying, you've got to make these guys work because we're paying a lot of money for them and obviously the salaries as well, et cetera, et cetera. But they certainly have been very, very busy in this summer window with regards to their recruitment policy. Uh, and so far have not really seen the, the, uh, the benefits of that recruitment.
0: No, look, at the, I'd be more than concerned about the recruitment. I'd be rec- concerned about the way the team is playing and his inability to influence it. They're, they they had the worst ever start to the Premier League after two games. Uh, they managed to extend that into three games by getting, destroyed um, 5-0 by Manchester City with a player who they decided to retain because they couldn't get the transfer fee they wanted out of Roma for him, Granit Jacka, and, and give a new contract to being sent off early in the game, um, adding to his uh, quite impressive tally of red cards as a, as a professional footballer and their tally of red cards since, um, December, 2019 was they've received 10 in the premier league, um, way ahead of the, the, the second worst team in that regard, which is Brighton, um, and Manchester city and Southampton and five. And, you know, obviously that that's partly to do with trying to implement the, the pressing style that Arteta, um, was party to using at Manchester City and and wanted to put in place at Arsenal. But um, no goals in those three games, no points, nine goals conceded. Um, The game against Manchester City, just one shot at goal. And you watch Arteta on the touchline at present and I think the Chelsea game was the one that, that stood out particularly to me. He's not intervening. Um, there was a simple, as we, as we talked about last week, there was a there was a basic tactical issue that, that Chelsea were taking advantage of against Arsenal, attacking down the left flank, um, which won them the game and which Arteta did nothing about. He allowed it to carry on, made no change during that first half, game dead. That's what the coach is paid to, to do. He's, he's supposed to be the guy who can see what's happening avoid the situation in the first place, preferably, but if he sees it's going wrong, make the change. So you don't get taken out of the game. He he doesn't look like a man in control of his own destiny at present. Um, What you say about recruitment is interesting and look, you can, you can place question marks on, on several of those deals. Buying Aaron Ramsdale, um, who was statistically one of the the worst goalkeepers in the Premier League during his period there. And, and I'm not sure from the eye test whether he's that great a goalkeeper either. When you have to find a replacement for Bernd Leno, you, you need an upgrade. And spending that amount of money on him, principally it seems because he's English and they wanted more homegrown players in their squad, doesn't look like a smart deal. Um... The Ben White one has a lot of pressure on it because he's the one of the most expensive English um, transfers within the Premier League of all time. And a player very talented, very comfortable on the ball, um, all the resale value arguments are there. Um, but if you're playing a back four, which Arteta's done most of the time, you're taking a player who, who excelled in the Premier League, in his first season playing in a back five, with two strong physical defenders doing the combative work, um, and him being the guy who's adding speed and uh, and playing the ball from the back once once the ball had been won, into a situation where he's now expected to lead a defence that that um, is has been well off. Um, the kind of basics of football in, in the games they've played at the moment. You, you don't have to watch much of, of the analysis on Arsenal to see the, the defensive errors and the, the lack of competitiveness in, in what they're doing, which is costing them these positions in games. Um, they took a, a another defender on deadline day, um, Takehiro Tomiyasu, um, who taught them had been looking at earlier in the window um people in japan will tell you that they've got one of the best japanese national team players there who's who's physically and technically adapted to the premier league um let's hope they're right because he's going to have a lot of pressure on him coming into that defense and 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 alongside ben white being expected to to solve the problems and, and build a base from which they can uh can turn themselves into a team that Arsenal are supposed to be, in instead of a team that's being hanging around mid-table and, and now at the bottom end of the uh, of the Premier League table.
1: Still in North London, Nuggan, Tottenham Hotspur have been doing a lot of business as well, um, which is interesting given that they obviously refused to sell Harry Kane to Manchester City for a British record transfer fee um, for Tottenham. And uh, my information is that Kane's position now is that uh, his representative, who's his brother, Charlie Kane, is... Um, is hopeful of negotiating an upgrade in Kane's current contract which would include a release clause a set release clause meaning that obviously uh Kane could leave next summer um or indeed in January uh, for a set fee uh, rather than the haggling which went on during the last 3 months between city and uh Tottenham, uh, with regards to Kane leaving, Kane himself still sees his future as playing in a team that will win trophies, something which he has not experienced. I'm not sure, Duncan, that this is a sustainable situation with regards to where Tottenham are with this. Effectively, Kane has a lengthy um, amount of time left on his Tottenham contract, and uh, he's effectively asking for a pay rise and a rescission clause without actually giving anything back in terms of a um, an extension to that contract, which of course would increase his value uh, as time goes on, i.e. if he was to be sold next summer. So it does seem like a a little bit kind of one-sided with regards to negotiation, i.e. advantageous for Kane, but not for the club. And as we know, um, our friend Daniel Leverage um, is not one necessarily to uh, give in to such demands with regards to uh, disadvantaging his club.
0: Yeah, it, it's you, you. can see one of the arguments that that Kane's camp has been putting out, which is uh, Manchester City were prepared to pay well over a hundred million pounds to to sign our our player. Um, the initial bid was that, and they were prepared to go significantly over it, perhaps under hundred, up to one hundred fifty million you refuse to sell at that price point blank, that's your decision, um, regardless of what discussions we may have had in the past and gentlemen's agreements there were about Champions League qualification. But if you value our client at that price, then his uh, pay packet has to reflect that valuation, therefore he's uh, entitled to an upgrade. Um, I think that's correct. But if you don't offer anything in return, for the upgrade, other than um, performing on the field, I think it's, it's going to be difficult to persuade Daniel Levy one to insert a release clause um, that one that's likely to be triggered, one that uh, clubs can afford, and and two to raise um, the the wage without putting extra years on the contract. Um, certainly, the inexperience of the people around Kane, I think has been demonstrated in, in the window and that, uh, he believed he was going to get to Manchester City. He believed that because City had agreed to sign him and made him first choice and were prepared to go to that transfer fee and the discussions they'd had previously with Levy, that it would be possible to extract himself from the club and, and talking publicly about a, a very early stage, um, was done in an unusual fashion um, where with no end result and uh, and the and, and outcome where he had to back down and and publicly state before the end of the window that he was happy to continue at Tottenham and he would uh, give his best for the team. In terms of their other business, yeah, I think you're right. There's a lot of money spent. Interesting deal to take Emerson Royale um, from Barcelona. Uh, not long after Barcelona had uh, had brought him to camp, now from uh, again an interesting deal they'd set up to to bring him from Brazil in the first place, they bought him and in, in tandem with uh, Betis, um, paid half the transfer fee each, and and then put him on loan at Betis and recalled him from that loan, paying a fee of nine million euros to get him. Tottenham have spent 25 million to sign Emerson as their right back. Um, I think a very good deal to take Papsar from Mets, um player, as we said in the earlier podcast, that a lot of people in Europe think is going to be a, a top midfielder. So they've secured that transfer. Brian Heal, more questionable, expensive at 25 million, plus Eric Lamella. Christian Romero, again, I think there are doubts about whether they may have overpaid for that one with the €50 million Euro, um, deal that's involved in getting him from Atlanta when they uh, they exercise the option to buy. Like, what's telling is that they, they are going for young players. Every one of those outfield players they signed is 23 or younger. They also had uh, an attempt at getting a Traore from Wolves, player that Nuno um I'd wanted in um so you know pretty radical changes and also in terms of players they've moved out with Serge Aurier's contract uh cancelled at mutual consent so obviously a payoff going to Aurier from the club to to allow him to leave um Toby Alderverald going to Qatar um money involved in that deal and and certainly a, a much lower Transfer fee than uh, than was reported initially on the Alderford deal and and Mrs De Soco, um moving to Watford.
1: I'll never understand why Brian Hughes' parents didn't call him Achilles. I mean, that's just too <laughs> too good an opportunity to turn down. I mean, I mean, imagine right Brian or Achilles. <laughs> there's no competition. it Really, isn't it's ridiculous. <laughs> Before we finish with hero and villain Duncan, a quick word on Liverpool, who's, who amongst the uh, elite clubs in the Premier League have been very quiet uh, in this window. Um, we know that their transfer policy is uh, usually um, very considered and looks very much ahead, uh, and they are quite circumspect with regards to who they recruit. Um they've gone for extensions to contracts for senior players and spent the money there rather than bringing in uh, talent uh, and players who might improve their squad.
0: Well, they made one very significant signing in Ibrahima Kanati from Leipzig, uh, a substantial transfer fee and and a defender who had a lot of myers across Europe. So that is an important upgrade. And as you often see, with Jurgen Klopp when he brings new players in, taking his time to introduce them to the the training methods and the tactical methods and the, and the style of play before actually putting him in, in the side. I think Virgil van Dijk's probably about the only one of the major signings. Obviously, Alison Becker, goalkeeper, so it's a different story. But of the outfield players, van Dijk was the one who went straight into the team um, and performed. But Canati's being held back. But you're right um the money has been spent on contract upgrades uh, for Allison, for Van Dyke, um for Andy Robertson, and Trent Alexander-Arnold, Fabinho. Um mm. don't think you can argue with any of those. Uh particularly the younger fullbacks and and Fabinho. Um the one I, I think some Liverpool fans are asking questions about is the the long new contract that they gave to Jordan Henderson. Um until 2025 enderson is 31 already um he only played 1706 premier league minutes last season Uh, liverpool must be confident that they can get over those injury issues and and have sustained performance from the player over at least the next three years if they're gonna hand out that amount of money to one individual who's, who seems to be on something of a downward trajectory and whose game is definitely a big part of it is is his physical presence on the pitch. So I, I think they'll need to be confident having done that, that that physical presence can be fully reinstated. Um, you saw him in the Chelsea game at the weekend, uh, winding up a lot of the Chelsea players by doing things off the ball, that's a different kind of physical presence to the thing that's needed on the ball um, and the the pressing that's central to the way Liverpool play. Let's
1: move on to uh, Here One Villain uh, on the podcast. Uh, Duncan, I'm going to hand over to you for the villain of the last week or so and tell us who it is and why. Um,
0: the villain for this week, Mike Dean, um, the Wolverhampton-Manchester United game, which was interesting in itself um, in that Wolves uh, had by far the better of the match and Manchester United, the first time they start, Jaden Sancho and, and Rafael Varane in uh, the Premier League 11, look very much like the team we've seen them being on many occasions under Uligunar Solskjaer, which is uh, a, a bit clueless when they when the opposition set up in a way that that uh, takes advantage of them and they don't get an early goal. They end up winning the game, but they end up winning the game because of a Mike Dean error. Um a challenge from Paul Pogba where he has he slide he miscontrols the ball, slides in with um, his boot off the ground, catches Ruben Neves on the leg, fortunately taking Neves' um, shin pad rather than his uh, than his shin. Um, Mike Dean right in front of it decides there's no foul. Um, the ball goes to Varane who sets up Greenwood for one of his uh, superb finishes and Manchester United come out of the, the game with a win. I think in, in tandem, people like Dermot Gallagher, the Premier League um employed commentator on premier league referees whose argument was despite various um, professional footballers telling him that that is a completely unacceptable challenge and uh, it should have been a a red card for Pogba, never mind a foul. His argument was Mike Dean had the best view of it, therefore we have to go with Mike Dean's view because he was right in front of it and VAR were right not to intervene. Once again, the Premier League ties itself in knots with its application of uh, the system. And and as we flagged up on an earlier podcast, this new... um, idea that contact has to be reintroduced into the game, that um, the English football is better when the players are allowed to kick each other. Now you can argue that we do need more physicality in the game and it is more entertaining um, and and it's a better visual product but if we're going to the level where players are allowed to slide in out of control with their studs up onto opponents and the referees ignore it and the VAR ignores it, we're going to end up with some very serious injuries this season
1: Strange thing about that one Duncan was you, you can see Neves' shin pad move physically move under the force of the tackle so if Mike Dean didn't see that or VAR didn't see that, I just you know, don't understand how that's not a foul because there's obvious evidence uh, to the contrary.
0: It has to be a foul. <laughs> what reading of the rules is it not a foul to to fail to get the ball to slide in out of control studs first and hit an opponent? The, 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 the point of debate is whether Pogba should have had a red card for it, not whether it's a foul. And for VAR not to intervene, intervene, as you say, when they have the video evidence of that, is it's it's a joke. Not a very funny one. Um, my hero
1: of the last few days, I'm going to make it the governor of Govan, or as a former girlfriend of mine called it, Govan. I don't know why. Um, Sir Alex Ferguson. For his part in bringing Cristiano Ronaldo, one of the greatest players of the modern era, back to the Premier League. Uh, Long conversations, as Duncan said earlier in the pod, he said, come home. And Cristiano Ronaldo has. And we all look forward to seeing him play back here in the English Premier League. Well done, Fergie. Still got it, son. That's everything for this particular podcast. Uh, You can engage with us on our social media channels. We are at Transfer Podcast on Instagram, Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, Duncan, you can find at Duncan Castles on Twitter and I'm on at Garbo SJ on Twitter. Please do engage with us. As you know, we like to be in touch with you and hear your views as well until the next time stay safe be well and thanks for listening